This morning I want to share with you for a little while out of the book of Luke and uh, we're going to see some words from scripture up on the screen I'm going to read Luke 23 and verses 26 through to 47. It's the story of the cross. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon the Cyrene who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. And just jumping down to verse 32, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him, they said he saved others, let him save himself if he, is God's, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of God. A 12-year-old boy was the son of a wealthy businessman in London. And he wanted to go to one of the prestigious private schools and was granted an interview with the headmaster, which is a prerequisite to getting into one of those prestigious schools. 
And near the end of the interview, the headmaster who was interviewing the boy in front of his father asked, let me ask you one last question. What's the one thing in this world that terrifies you more than anything else? The boy thought about it and then he said to the headmaster, oblivion, oblivion. Now, oblivion, what does it mean? Well, it can be to be completely forgotten, put out of mind, or it can mean to be totally destroyed, wiped out into oblivion, or lose awareness of what's happening. That's a profound answer, oblivion. But on the way home, the father said, by the way, when when you were talking to the headmaster and he asked you that question, what scared you? And you said, oblivion. Why did you say that? He said, oh, you remember that scary ride that we went to at um, Alton Towers? That was called oblivion. (laughs) I want to show you a video of what that scary ride. Remember, this is a 1990s, so it was one of the biggest rides of the time. This is what that scary ride looked like. Well, oblivion, what an interesting word. The state of being unaware of the consciousness 
of, uh, well, of being unconscious of what's happening around you. You know, we, we might hear someone say they drank themselves into oblivion. State of being forgotten, especially by the public. And so we might say his name will fade into oblivion. I was looking at that word the other day in the dictionary, oblivion. And I wanted to make sure I had clear what it meant. And then I started to see a list of antonyms. You know, the, a list of the words that are exactly opposite to what oblivion is. And there was a whole list of words there, but amongst them I found the word resurrection. And I thought, isn't that a picture of Easter? Oblivion and resurrection. Oblivion. You know, some hoped that Jesus would just disappear into oblivion because he brought with him a real conviction of sin. There was something about his demeanour that caused people to, to tremble and there was that sense of guilt and shame as people came. He made them feel uncomfortable. And there was a desire. He makes me so uncomfortable. I wish he would just disappear into oblivion. And at Easter time, we're confronted with this scene and we read about it in the Bible, we sang about it in some of the songs and we hear about this place called Golgotha. And if you've been to Jerusalem, as I know uh, some who have done some touring have, just outside the city, in fact nowadays, right next to a bus depot, is this craggy looking cliff that looks like a skull. And that word Golgotha is actually a Hebrew word. There's a couple of other names. The Latin language says it's Calvary. The Greek language says it's Cranium. All those words actually mean the skull. And we're confronted by this place, this place of the skull at Easter. And without the end of the Easter story, we're confronted with oblivion. Now, oblivion, it's welcomed by some because it's like a hiding place. I can just escape and get away from it all. Adam and Eve perhaps wished that they could have um, escaped into oblivion when they were waiting for God to appear in the garden because they felt such guilt and shame. And then we have Jesus hanging on the cross for six hours. And in that time, he's hanging on the cross for six hours. You know, he spoke just seven times. He made seven statements of love. And those words of Jesus, they're like a window into the heart of God. I wonder if you ever thought about what your last words might be. Could they be something like, I wonder if a chainsaw could do this. Maybe they could be something like, 
I'm not an electrician, but how hard could this be? <laughs> or maybe there's something like, honey, those jeans make you look really, really fat. <laughs> We've got to understand that Jesus' last words were different to that. He's arrested on Thursday night. His friends deserted him and he's taken to the first of six trials. Some of them were illegal. You see, they wanted Jesus gone. They wanted him gone into oblivion. And so what they did was they worked backwards. And they went to the sentence and they said, we have decided his sentence will be death. And then they decided as they stepped backwards that he was guilty. And then they decided that they had to make the trials look legitimate. And the evidence then had to match the sentence. So they're trying to put all this together and make up lies that are going to stick. And in six trials, Jesus is beaten repeatedly. His beard is torn out. And they take him to Pilate, the Roman governor. The only one who could legally give the death sentence. Now, of course, the Jewish way of doing it was by stoning. And that would have been their preference. You see, that was their method. But the Romans, they liked crucifixion. Because crucifixion was so public. And when someone was nailed to the cross, when someone's nailed to a cross... They die slowly over time and everybody gets to see it. The Romans used to put a sign up listing the crimes that the criminal had committed so the people would see that and be deterred from committing the same crimes. They also placed their place of crucifixion at this Golgotha place which was right in a, in a main thoroughfare. And they took Jesus and they wrote his crime, King of the Jews, in three different languages. So there before the Roman governor, Pilate, Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. He knew that these people were doing it because of envy. And he was trying to get out of it. But the Jewish leaders, they came and they blackmailed him and they said, we'll report you to Caesar and tell him that you're not acceptable to govern our nation. Pilate deep down knew that Jesus was innocent, but he cared a lot about his job, and he cared more about his life. And so what he did was he had Jesus whipped, had him flogged, had him brought out, and for a bit of fun, a crown of thorns, a purple robe. And he's thinking, they'll be okay now. I've roughed him up a bit, had a bit of fun. But they wanted him gone into oblivion and shouted, crucify him. Out of our lives, out of our minds, he's reminding us of our failures. And as a nation, he's reminding us that we don't measure up. And as individuals, he's reminding us that we've fallen short of the glory of God. And the one who drew many to him for healing and forgiveness 
also repelled people. Pilate washed his hands and in doing that he was showing I am not responsible for this man's death. And in fact, we don't have this on the screen, but it says in Matthew 27, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, and, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Oblivion. With Jesus out of the way, guilt would be removed because we wouldn't see his face. He'd be gone. No one would remind them of their past. No one would interfere with their present. They could get on with life. And Satan, he was quite delighted about all of this. With Jesus gone, his kingdom would be complete, his rule and authority absolute, and Jesus would be relegated to oblivion. When they came to the place called the skull, it says in Luke 23, they crucified him there along, <clears throat> along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Crucifixion was death by suffocation. It wasn't the nails. And every effort had to be made even to make a noise. Every word was extremely painful and every time Jesus spoke his words were agonizing every word had to be calculated and every word was precious and his first statement from the cross triggered something his first statement was this father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness. The crowd, they're muttering. We wish him gone. He can't even save himself. Who does he think he is? Jesus heard the muttering. Close by there on the cross beside him, one of the thieves was saying, who does this fellow think he is? The religious leaders were happy. And Jesus saw it. And he looks out into the crowd and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Forgiveness. And then Jesus, as time ticks on, heard the conversation between the thieves, one here and one there. He saved others. Why can't he save himself? Now one thief 
hoarsely and his bestie could, says, Jesus. It's like, Jesus, I know who you are, you who you claim to be, the Son of God, the Saviour. And I somehow believe, even though I don't understand, that you died, you're dying for me. And he says, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus, out of the hoarseness of a suffocating man's voice comes, truly, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. And he gives hope to one who is in shame, isolated and rejected. And then Jesus drops his eyes. And as he drops his eyes, he starts to see individuals in the crowd. And he drops his eyes and there is the disciple he loved, John it is. And his mother. And he says to an individual, two individuals, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. You see, even at that moment, Jesus, he looked at the crowd, he looked at those around him, but he comes, and even today, he looks at the individual. And he says, I care about you and I came to die for you because I love you as if you were the only person in the world. And then darkness comes over the land. And he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus knows that sometimes in oblivion, just like that ride, when we look down the, the ride and we see that black hole and somehow we know we're going into it, many of us have gone into that black hole and we feel like we're in a place of darkness and there is no way out and already we're being relegated to oblivion. And Jesus is in that place. He is feeling the weight of sin and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he goes on. The clock ticks. The crowd mumbles. There's darkness, unnatural darkness. And he says, I'm thirsty. And here we see Jesus going further than looking at the individual. I think we see Jesus looking inside of us and knowing that deep inside of us there is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that we can't quite get. His was a physical thirst. And he says, I'm thirsty. And he wants us this morning, I believe, to admit that if we examine ourselves, there's something missing perhaps if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. And you might be this morning identifying with Jesus because he's identifying with you. Be brave enough and bold enough and honest enough to say, Lord God Almighty, I am thirsty. Spiritually, I am thirsty. And the Bible says he will satisfy. And then he received the drink 
And he uttered those words and one gospel says these were his last words and another one said these were his last words. It depends on who's hearing those words but what we know is near the end of Jesus' time on the cross, still in the darkness, he declares it is finished. And now he lifts his eyes globally and as he lifts his eyes globally, he looks at all the nations of the world and the generations yet to come and he says, it is finished. In other words, it has been paid for in full. Your sin has been taken care of on the cross. And other last words are, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now, at that moment, the devil thought he had won. He thought he'd taken Jesus out. The enemies of Jesus, the enemies of God thought they'd won when they drove the nails into his hands. The moment Jesus died, it was like a bomb went off. Shot waves reverberated through heaven and hell. And those words that Jesus uttered some time ago came back when he said, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. You see, in that moment, he became more powerful in death than in life because in that moment he defeated the principalities and the powers and he triumphed over them and there was this great earthquake and the veil of the temple was torn in two and it separated the that veil separated the common person from the holy of holies the presence of God and you would expect the moment you would expect that in that moment when all that Jesus came to do was completed there would be forgiveness And there was. The very man that took Jesus' life, the lead executioner, he fell to his knees and he cried out. When he saw what happened, he praised God and he said, truly or surely, this was a righteous man. You see, forgiveness was Jesus' agenda. He opened a way back to God and he defeated all all that stands in the way of us being reconciled to God. I want to finish this morning by issuing an invitation to any who have come here this morning and you have yet to commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard this morning how God loves you and the words of Jesus, they're for you. And I've got this little uh, leaflet here and it says, it's, well, it's called The Way to Heaven. And uh, I've got some with me where I'm sitting down there, but there's a big stack of them um, on that counter out in the foyer there as you leave. And if you take this, it talks about the situation that we find ourselves in sometimes and it, it feels like oblivion. But as you read on through this track, it tells you how to come out of that place of oblivion, that place of feeling worthless, that place where you're lost in shame, that place where you just feel like there is nothing left to live for. And there is an invitation in here and an explanation in here that tells you how to come out of that place. And receive Jesus Christ, his forgiveness, his love, and his mercy. And you can pray a prayer that's, that's in here. A prayer that enables you to commit your life to God by accepting what Jesus did for you, for you on the cross. And it says, if we just turn away from the way that we've been going, where we've been lost in oblivion, and turn and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be saved.